Uh, this is going to be a short recording. I forgot to push the button there. Um, but uh, what, what we're starting to see, Scott and I were talking a couple of days ago about something in, uh, in, within this Mark study, and, and he said they're starting to remind him of chihuahuas because they're always nipping and yapping at the heels, you know, and, and that's really where they're at right now. Because when we get into chapter 12, that's when the yipping and yapping really starts. Because he, not, he doesn't just, before he's always saying, okay, you Pharisees, and over here he'll say, okay, you scribes, and he'll say scribes and Pharisees. All three groups come at him in this. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time he sent a servant uh, to, the wine, uh, to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them, so they left him and went away. Now do you notice And when chapter 11 ended, and we're beginning in chapter 12. Both times they failed to act. For what reason? They feared the multitudes. They feared the multitudes. They couldn't respond to the question about John. Was his baptism from God or was it from men? And they can't answer the question here. Because if they do, they're exposing themselves as to who they really are and what their real purpose is, and, and, and they're not going to do that. Now, in, in Matthew chapter 21, which has the parallel to this, the ending of it goes this way, beginning in verse 43. It says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them, but when they sought to lay hands on him, 
They feared the multitudes because they took him from a prophet. Now, have you ever been in, in, a, in a public setting on a job or anything like that where the boss, supervisor, whoever is not the type that there's a problem, they go to the individual and address the problem. Rather than face up to an individual, they lay it out on the whole crowd. Okay? Now, if you're the one that's bringing this wrath of the boss, how would you feel? Everybody else is being subjected to everything, but you're the reason that that wrath is being exposed. I don't know about you, I'd feel pretty uncomfortable. I'd feel guilty. But you know what it didn't say here? It really didn't say they felt guilty. They said, we know you're talking about us. We perceive that. We saw that. We understand that. But we're afraid of the people. Now, let me ask you this. Who, who is the owner? It's God. It's God. Who are the vine dressers? There are these priests and, and all that have been granted then assumed authority throughout. And they became greedy. Just like these vine dressers that they were handed over this vineyard and uh, the owner had prepared it for the vineyard to go in, put in the wine vats and the whole bit, and these guys lease it from him, and they allow him or them to come in and, and do whatever it is they need to do, but they got greedy. Because part of the deal was that the owner would reap part of that harvest. So when he sent these individuals in to claim part of that fruit, they killed one, they stoned them, they, they beat them, they, they did all kinds of things to them. That's exactly what we're seeing happen. What does the vineyard itself represent? What? The people. It's, it's the people of Israel. They were the ones, you know, God long before this, had said, these are my chosen people, and it's through them I'm going to bring my son to save the world. And they knew he was coming. And so now they have that son is standing before them, and he's saying, look, I know what your game is. You know, it's one of these, you know, Look me in the eye. Because I know what, what it is you're doing. And ultimately, he's talking about you're going to put me to death, Jesus is saying. When do you think these priests and the bodies and groups of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all these other seas that are out there 
When do you think they started to get it? They were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. Now, what Jesus just did is very consistent. Psalm 51, we're not, we're not going to read from there, but Psalm 51 is one of those tug-at-your-heart passages. Because what, what Psalm 51 is about is, is when David is calling out to God and he, 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 he says, I am the vilest of sinners. I am the lowest of the low. And it is in you that I can find salvation. And it's in you alone. But this whole thing, you, you, you remember, this, this is in result, if you go back to 2 Samuel, this, this is where uh, uh, Bathsheba, uh, David sent her husband off to the front, volunteered him for some rough duty. For what purpose? To get him killed. And David could stand back in his mind. He says, look, I didn't murder this man. But did he? He planned it. You know, he wanted it to be that way and put him out there. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, I want you to listen to see, see the parallel that's occurring here. It said, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now, now listen. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, how did Nathan reply to David? You're it. You're the man I'm talking about. See, David didn't have a clue. He was hearing this story and he was so upset and angry about the injustice of life and, and how this rich man had taken advantage of this poor man. And he had a, a field full of sheep and, and he goes and takes the ewe lamb or, or sheep by now uh, from this man that only had one. But Nathan said, you're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah 
And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by what, uh, doing what is evil in his eyes? And now what he was telling the priest and all back in Mark, he said, look, I gave you every opportunity. I gave you all that you needed. I provided for you in every way, but you became greedy. You became greedy. Now, think about, we sit through sermons, and we hear, and I don't mind telling you, sometimes I, I kind of limp out of the room after the sermon's over because they've walked all over my toes during that whole thing. And sometimes I, I'm just reading scripture And I read something and say, oh my, because guess what? That's talking to me about where I'm at. See, so, sometimes we, we get so close to what we're doing, we're really not aware of, of the separation that we're crea creating. And it does us good to step back from time to time. Say, who am I? What's my purpose? Am I living my purpose? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, God forgives. God forgives. But God expects us to recognize and to humble ourselves before him. Now, going back to Psalm 51, that, that's the beauty of that. Because if there ever was a man, a flesh and blood man, that totally emptied himself before God. That's where it took place. If you haven't read that in a while sometime over the next few days, go back to Psalm 51 and read that because it, it truly is powerful. Because this, this is after Nathan had told that story and he was so incensed. And then Nathan says, but this story is about you. And it so touched his heart. See, that, that's what we have to do sometimes, is, is we've got to take the word and, and, and let it speak to us. Now, let's go back to Mark 12. <clears throat> now, Mark 12 and 13, this is where the Pharisees come in. And they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And then in verse 18, the Sadducees say, but... What about the resurrection? And, and then we go to verse 28, and the scribes say, which is the first commandment of all? You know, it's, it's the same old story. They're, they're, they're trying to trip him up, trying to trick him, trying to force him to, to misplay his hand, so to speak. In verse 13 it says, then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians, see the the Grecians had to get involved with this, to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you're true and care about uh, 
no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? You know, that's almost, are you still beating your wife type questions. You know, if we look at it through human eyes, it, it, it's, it's kind of tough. But Jesus didn't, didn't step around. He said, but he knowing their hypocrisy, that word starts to come up a lot, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this, they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. See, it, it was a simple answer. There was no issue. But they just want to test him. And he knows that. He knows that. In verse 18, Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, come to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children and his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died. He, he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? You know, that's one of those that, you know, just runs around in circles through the whole question. And, 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 and. But Jesus said, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. No issue. But they took issue. In verse 28, this, this is where the scribes come in. Now, now, these are the wordy guys. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, no other commandment great, there is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, 
with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. See? They, they knew what they wanted to hear, and they didn't get to it. But, but listen as we come back in, in verse 35. It says, Then Jesus answered and said, While he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. So how is he? How, how is he David's son? Through his fleshly ancestry. Through the fleshly ancestry. But how is he Lord? Because he is the son of the living God. And see, that, that's where people start to twist off a little bit. To, to, to understand that Jesus, as he came to this earth, was fully flesh, but he was fully God. And that doesn't compute in, in my brain. That's difficult. It, it, it's one of those issues like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are one but separate. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. Where you get in trouble with that is you try to separate them out because they, they don't separate out. See, God's plan for this earth was in place at the creation. Do you think God was ever surprised by anything that happened? Not at all. You know, he, he established from the very beginning that mankind had the free will to make the choices that they made. And he knew from the beginning that there was going to be a need for a Savior. And that Savior was going to be the Son who was going to come to this earth to die for them, to go to the cross, to overcome death, to overcome sin, to do it all. There were no surprises. But listen in verse 38 as Jesus offers one of his warnings again. He says, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogue, and the best places of feast, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. See, since, since we've been involved in this study in, in Mark, and you find the same thing in Matthew, um, a lot of the same things in Luke. In Matthew 16, 
Jesus said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In 1611, how is it you don't understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 16 and 12, beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So it's the same old thing, time and time again. Mark 8 and 15, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Luke 12 and verse 1, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, these guys are human. And these guys have power. And with that power comes pride. And with that pride comes greed. And with that greed, they don't want to give it up. And and that's what's going to happen. Notice two words that's used in Matthew 16 and 12. He says, beware of the leaven of bread, of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, those two hardly belong in the same sentence because they didn't stand for a lot of the same things. They were united at one level but totally separate in other areas. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees in Luke 12 and 1, which is hypocrisy. I say one thing, I do another. And and that's where that goes. Now, as Jesus continues here as we get to the end of this chapter, beginning in verse 41, Scott talked about this in detail a couple of Sunday nights ago, about the widow and her contribution compared to the wealth. And what Jesus is bringing, you notice the way Mark organizes all of this, he brings all of these discussions down to a simple point. And the simple point here is that the wealthy that have a lot, power, whatever it happens to be, want to hold on to it. The poor with a pure heart are wanting to give it all. What Jesus has dealt with his whole life on this earth is that the world had an expectation for him that he never intended to fill. They all claim, you know, I I, I love when you read some of the history, uh, non-biblical historical books written around that first century and a little bit after They'll talk about how they wanted to get rid of the Romans and all that. Folks, these people's pockets were being padded by the Romans. (laughs) You know, they didn't want to get rid of them too fast and too bad. But there was a lot of that society wasn't part of that upper crust. And they wanted to move them out. So what they saw Jesus as, as the knight in shining armor bearing a sword, riding a big white horse, and he was going to come in and militarily take this thing over. But that wasn't Jesus. He was a conqueror. He was king. But he came not for the physical world, but for the life to come. To make that an opportunity for everyone 
a reality for everyone. And that didn't sit well with the powers that be because they were constantly being challenged. <laughs>